up through fourth grade. Um, and if the rest of you would grab your Bibles, your copy of God's Word, and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Now, let me ask you a question before we dive in here. Very practical question. Um, I seem very hot this morning. I'm not talking about my body temperature. Actually, I, I was preparing, you know, a few weeks ago. I was in coat and tie, like I, I'm sometimes, but I was so hot that I was sweating. I said, if it's going to be that hot this summer, we're just going to drop it down. I won't be in a t-shirt next week, so don't worry. All right, we only go so far, but uh, um, I seem hot audibly, meaning I'm, meaning I'm very loud, at least to me. Um, I, am, am I to you, Tim? I, Do I, I seem really loud? Yeah. If you can, it's in the monitors, okay. Yeah, just turn those monitors. I don't need the monitors. Turn them off. <laughs> um, uh, I just need, I, I just, it's like blaring in my ears, uh, so uh, maybe you don't, maybe you need that. I don't know. All right. Hey, Brian, we're glad to see you here. Thanks for coming back. So you're back for about a month, and then they're going to ship you back over? A couple weeks. Oh, man, that's not long enough. Uh, all right. Well, good to see you, brother. Uh, we got a few pa- he's, he's working overseas for Dow right now for a little while, and he's one of our elders, so we've been missing him here, and now he's going to go back. We hope they send you back, Brian. Yeah, you do. I bet, yeah. You got a new grandbaby on the way? Or is she here? All right, great. When that happened, I missed that. See, if I was on Facebook and checked Facebook, I'd know that probably, right? Yeah, well, congratulations. To, that's awesome. You could be here uh, to enjoy that. Well, hey, that, that's a lot of great stuff, and, and uh, we're going to get some even better stuff here this morning in Philippians uh, chapter 2. Uh, we're studying through the book of Philippians in this series of entitled Finding Joy in Christ Alone because throughout this letter that Paul writes to the church of Philippi, he keeps using words like joy and rejoice. And again, I say rejoice, and just it seems like every chapter you see this. And, and ro- the reason why is because Paul had discovered this thing about finding joy in Christ alone and not in the things of this world and other people. Uh, but the title of our message this morning is Models of Christ Likeness. Models of Christ's likeness. And I'm going to read our passage this morning. Um, it's going to be verses 17 through 30. Now, I know that some of you are um, rolling your eyes because a couple of messages ago I did verses 12 and 13, and then last week 14 through 16. And I'm going to tackle 17 through 30 this morning. But they all go together. You'll see that. Uh, I can say this. Uh, this is one of my pa- favorite um, chapters in all of the Scripture. And I've kind of given an overview already before we came to this chapter. And, and as I was studying this, did I find some nuggets uh, this week that I hadn't seen before? Yes. But the overall thrust of the passage is not one of those things where you go, wow, that's hard to understand. It's really clear. You, you can't miss what this chapter and what these verses this morning are trying to teach us. It's just very, very clear. And I like clear. Hopefully you do too, right? I just like clear, simple, just straightforward. And Paul is very straightforward in what he's trying to communicate in these verses this morning. So let's just look at these verses. I'm going to read them, and then we're going to ask the Lord to open our heart and our eyes to the truth uh, that's contained here. But beginning in verse 17 down through verse 30 of chapter 2 of Philippians. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, 
so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will generally be concerned for your welfare. They all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send you to, to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Let's pray. Lord, we are again at your mercy. Just as Epaphroditus was at your mercy to, to bring healing to his life, we're at your mercy this morning um, to understand your word. We're at your mercy this morning to apply the truth that's contained here in and through our lives. So we're at your mercy. So we beg you, we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts, open our minds to understanding uh, the truth that is taught here. Lord, help us not miss it. And Lord, as we, not only as we leave here, but even as we are gathered and looking at your word this morning, we would apply, begin to apply, apply the principles that are set forth here immediately so that you might be honored, you might be glorified. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, there's, there's a story about a, a little boy uh, and his dad. Every night before bed, his dad would do something that many dads do. He would tuck his boy, take him to bed, he would tuck his boy in, he would pray with him, and then he would kiss him goodnight and go to his bed. So on a particular night, same routine, he takes his little boy, he tucks him in bed, and some kids like to be tucked in a little differently, uh, but this little boy liked to be tucked in real nice and snug, so he tucked him in, prayed with him, kissed him goodnight, and then went back to his room to join his wife in their, in their bed, their bedroom. Well, on this particular night, one particular night, uh, there was a major thunderstorm. Like sometimes we get around here. Like I've noticed here, when we, I've been here for uh, now going on just 11 and a half years, and it didn't just like sprinkle here ever. It just rains. Thunder, lightning. I mean, it's just storm, storm, storm. So it's one of those storms, big booming thunder, uh, big flashes of lightning. So after one particular big flash of lightning and huge thunderclap this little boy jumped out of his bed ran to his mom and dad's room jumped in bed with his dad and said dad I'm afraid I'm scared and his dad said well son there's no reason to be scared come on so he takes him back to his bed tucks him back in prays with him kisses him and said hey there's no reason to be scared because Jesus is with you so he leaves his son in there he goes back to his bedroom, lays down. About as soon as he lays down, another big thunderclap, boom! And his little boy made Usain Bolt look slow getting back in, the, in his bedroom with his dad. He's back in there, jumps in the bed between his mom and dad. Daddy, I'm scared. He picks him up, takes him back. 
lays him down in his bed, tucks him in, prays with him, gives him a kiss and says, son, there's no reason to be scared. Jesus is with you. So his dad goes back to bed. And sure enough, another big flash of lightning. This one seemed like it was right outside his window. Big thunderclap and the little boy was back in their uh, bed just like that. So he said, son, I told you. There's no reason to be scared. Jesus is with you. And his old boy said, yes, daddy, I know Jesus is with me. But I need Jesus with skin on. <laughs> now, I think we'd all agree, although we know Jesus is with us, sometimes we need Jesus with skin on, don't we? I know I do. Uh, we, we need living persons to hold on to, to look at. And some people would say, well, that's kind of a lack of faith. No, it's not. Because God in his gracious mercy toward us gives us people to hold on to, doesn't he? It's called the body of Christ. We do things together. There's how many one another's, over 90 one another's in the New Testament. We do things together as a body, as a family. He gives us people to hold on to. He gives us people to look at. He gives us examples and models to follow in this Christian life. He gives us Jesus with skin on. Because if we know Christ, then Jesus lives in us. And we can be Jesus with skin on. We can look to someone else who is, in a sense, Jesus with skin on. All of us have heroes or models um, uh, in, in our lives that we look, we've looked up to maybe in the past. Uh, we've we learned from them. And, and not only do we have models and heroes in the past, but we even have models and examples that we follow today. And in fact, that's probably true the rest of our lives. That will be the case. Uh, yesterday uh, was the once, one time a year that they induct guys into the NFL Football Hall of Fame. I didn't get a chance to see that. I knew it was going on, and I heard about it. I heard some of the guys were inducted in the Hall of Fame, and um, I, I, my name wasn't called. And I'm not ever worried about my name being called. I can promise you that. Um, but uh, I, I, I wanted to hear about one particular guy because I always admired him as a player and as a person. His name was Andre Reed, who played with the Buffalo Bills, and they were, of course, synonymous with always getting to the Super Bowl and never winning. But the Bills were so bad, nobody ever wanted to go play with them. In fact, Jim Kelly, who was their star quarterback, went to the USFL so he would not have to play for the Buffalo Bills. He played two years in the USFL until it folded, and then he had to play for the Buffalo Bills. And the Buffalo Bills were glad that he did. But he had a particular receiver called Andre Reed, who caught 663 passes from him, uh, like 70-some touchdowns from Jim Kelly. And I got to hear a glimpse uh, of the speech that Andre Reed gave uh, at his induction ceremony. And, and Andre talked about how much he looked up to Jim Kelly. I mean, there was minutes upon minutes of him talking about Jim Kelly as Jim Kelly sat out there in the audience listening to him. He spoke of Jim Kelly's toughness, his encouragement, his leadership, his perseverance, his faithfulness. Although they were peers, Andre Reed looked to Jim Kelly as a model and his example. And often when we are looking at models, it's not people who we don't know. It's people we know, isn't it? Really, these are the people we really get to see on a day-to-day -day basis, or at least maybe a week-to-week -week basis. We look to them, and we know them, and, and, and we, we try to model in some way our lives that there's some of the things they do that we admire. And this is what Andre Reed was saying about Jim Kelly. And 
the models that are going to be presented to us this morning are people that the church of Philippi knew. And they knew well. So I'm going to ask you to, to join me as we examine these verses and look at the models that God through Paul presents. And uh, we're going to be looking again at verses 17 through 30. And the Lord through Paul wants to challenge us with three models of Christ's likeness to follow so that we too may become more like Christ. And before we examine these verses, let me remind you of why Paul is presenting these three models of Christ's likeness. It's very important. And it's very important. And my hope is, now some of you have been here through this whole series, and especially probably the last five or six messages as we've kind of been around chapter 2, you're going to think, well, I've heard this before. I'm glad you've heard it before. I don't want you ever to forget it. I don't want you to ever forget what's contained in this chapter in Philippians. In fact, when you think about Philippians, because I think this is the key in the heart of Philippians, this is what I want you to think about, is what's taught right before chapter 2 all the way through chapter 2. There's some other great stuff, yes, and we're going to look at that. But I'm going to repeat some things that I've said over and over and over again, hopefully so you'll remember them forever and never lose what's here. So we remember, if you look back in verse 27, this whole passage from verse 27 down through the end of chapter 2 is, is focused on one imperative, one command, and that's in verse 27. Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the one thing. In fact, it says only, and that's the word monos. It's just one thing. You all remember that? Just one thing. So if you can just get one thing and, and, and obey one thing, this would be it. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul follows this up with some challenging ways right after that in those verses following uh, but, uh, about how we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. But the most challenging of one, one the one that all of chapter 2 is centered around, is found in verses 3 and 4 uh, there in chapter 2. And many of you have heard this quoted multiple times here. Um, and we're going to quote it again. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important yourself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. That is the main way in which Paul wants to get through the church of Philippi, how you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Christ. It's a sacrificial selflessness. And that's tough. Well, it doesn't get any easier because in verses 5 through 11, as he talks about um, this and gives this imperative to, to be selfless, he gives Jesus as an example and an illustration the greatest perfect illustration of sacrificial selflessness in all the world, in all the universe, ever. And so as, as, he, as he gives this, we verses, verses through 5 through 11, it seems like an impossible task. I mean, we've got to be selfless like Christ was. He gave himself up for the world, not for what he got out of it, for what we got out of it, for what the Holy Spirit got out of it. The Holy Spirit got a temple. The Father got a family. We got forgiveness. Jesus got pain. Got death out of that. So it seems if that's our example and that's what, what we're supposed to follow, are you kidding me? There's no way. And you're exactly right. There's no way in and of ourselves that we could ever follow the example of Jesus Christ. So Paul answers our concern and answers the concern of the church of Philippi in verses 12 through 13. Um, he, we ask this question, who is working, God or me? Yes. God and you are working. And God is, we are working, you are at work, because God is at work in you. So the work we produce, yes, we're working, but we produce it because God is at work in us. So how in the world are we going to live out this principle of selflessness? Because God is at work in us. 
And as we work, we trust that he is at work in us to follow that out. But Paul wasn't just concerned about the fact that we did work and we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel and work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. He was concerned about that, but he was also concerned about the attitude with which we did it and with which we do it. And that's what we saw in verses 14 through 16, the attitude that we, we go about living out this call to be selfless. And, and, and let, me, let me say this too. Not only are we called and, and empowered by the Holy Spirit as we live this out, but some way in a mysterious way, and you can study this later, but in Luke 4, 18 through 21, and Isaiah 61, when Jesus quotes the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do this, the Holy Spirit empowered this is the, the human Jesus, all right, and anointed him, empowered him, led him, we see him leading to the wilderness, to carry out God's will for the Son. Now that's a mystery, isn't it? Because he was fully human, fully divine, but somehow the Holy Spirit mixed in there too. And we do the same thing, right? We allow the Holy Spirit to lead, to guide, and empower us, not in the exact same way as Jesus, but in some way as Jesus did to carry this out with the right attitude. And what is that right attitude? Verses 14 through 16, we looked at that. It's an attitude that is joyful and thankful, not one that's grumbling or disputing. So he's he care that we fulfill what he's called us to do? You bet. But he also cares about how we go about doing it with the right attitude. And we talked about this like last week. When we grumble and complain, that's an attack on the sovereignty of God. It is. Because if God either causes or allows everything to happen in our life, he's sovereign over all things. Even difficult people he puts in our life, you know. Sometimes we've got to be pointing to ourselves, but maybe the difficult person, we've been to somebody else. But even all those difficulties, God is working it all, as we know in Romans 8, for our good, for those that love him and call according to his purpose. So when we grumble and complain, we're basically saying, God, we don't trust you. We don't trust your plan. It's attack on the sovereignty of God. So he cares not that we just work at our salvation empowered by Christ. We do it with the right attitude. So that brings us to our passage this morning. Uh, and living out this principle of selflessness like, like Jesus did is still a daunting task, isn't it? It, it? Just even knowing, okay, God's at work in us. I got that. And, and the Philippians, as they received this letter, I, I got that. We need to do an attitude with thankfulness and gratefulness and, and joy. We, we, we got that, but it's still tough, Paul. So Paul addresses that. He wants to encourage them. He wants to encourage us by pointing to these three examples of models of Christ-likeness. So let's begin in verses 17 through 18. Look there with me in your, in your copy of God's Word. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice, sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. It's in these verses we're challenged with the first model of Christ-likeness to follow. The first model is Paul. This is a real simple outline. It's just each, each of the three points are one word. Guys' names. All right? Paul. He's the first model of Christ-likeness that he points to. Paul humbly presents himself as a model of Christ-likeness, specifically living out the primary principle uh, of this entire section of Scripture from verses 3 and 4, sacrificial selflessness. Uh, let's begin there and look at verse, the verse, first part of verse 17. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Notice the word but there. Um, your translation may be and, and, and the word there can be translated either, either but or and. and. It's a connective word, and it connects 
verse 17 back to verse 16. In verse 16, he speaks about running and toiling in the ministry and now seems to say that he's not only ready for toiling for the gospel, but he's ready to die for the gospel if that's God's will. So it just continues the thought there from verse 16. Yeah, hey, running and working, okay, I'm in on that. This toiling, difficult, yeah, I'm in on that. But you know what, I'm even willing to go to, to die for this. So he, he connects those together. And, and then he says, even if I'm being, and, and this is, and it's, let me just throw this out here and let me explain it. It's a first class conditional clause. What in the world does that mean? It means it's something that's known to be true already. It's not an if. Well, if I am. It's, it's if I am and I am. That's what it means. I am willing. I am being poured out as a drink offering, as he says. And notice that. He says he poured out as a drink offering. These words are related to drink offerings that were poured out after a sacrifice. And you can read about all those in the Old Testament, the drink offerings that came along with the sacrifice, to, um, almost in a sense to strengthen the sacrifice. Uh, but it's called by God to give these drink offerings. And Paul even uses this, this terminology and, and this phrase, uh, being poured out as a drink offering later on. In fact, in his very last letter that he writes to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4.16, he says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So Paul uses in, to the church of Philippi, to Timothy, in his last letter that he ever wrote, right before his death, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. And he's using terminology that would hearken back to sacrifice to honor the Lord. And people would know that. This poured out as a drink offering. Now in Timothy, he is on his last legs. And he, but we saw earlier in Philippians that he, there was a possibility he understood that he's in prison when he writes this, that this might be the last part. Now, he also, the Lord's shown him that it's not going to be, but he understands he's in prison, he's suffering, and he could die in prison. Same understanding. He, he is willing to do whatever it takes for the advancement of the gospel. That's what he's saying. He says, I'm, I'm being poured out, but even if I am, I'm, and I am being poured out as a drink offering. And then he says, upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Now, some translations say upon, some say on, it's, it's in addition to, okay? I'm being poured out in addition to your sacrifice and service of faith. I'm being sacrificial, and he's encouraging them. Yes, you've been sacrificial. You've been ser sacrificially serving in the faith as well. It's an encouragement to them. Uh, they, they sent a financial gift to him. They sent a Paphroditus to encourage him. And they prayed for Paul, as we saw back in chapter 1. And he's saying, great job. And, my, and our gifts and our sacrifice together here is part of what he's pointing to of selflessness. But he, he's specifically drawing attention in a sense to himself. I'm joining my sacrificial service to yours. So here in chapter 2, Paul is saying that, that if his imprisonment and possible death, along with their sacrificial service, helps make the Philippian church an accepted offering in God's sight, then he's all in. He says, count me in. If that's what's going to happen, if that's what it does, takes for the church of Philippi to be an acceptable offering to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm in. He's willingly yielding his life for the sake of the gospel. He's willing to be, listen to this, obedient to the point of death. Where did that phrase come from? Verse 8. Jesus, who was selfless 
being found in appearance as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And in a sense, that's what Paul's saying. I'm willing to follow the example of Christ and be obedient even to the point of death. Paul is living out the principle in verses 3 and 4. Sacrificial selflessness. Paul had earlier communicated his selfless and sacrificial attitude when he wrote in verse 25 of verse 1. Look there with me. Look what he says. He says, convinced of this, I love this, this last phrase, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all, listen to this, for your progress and joy in the faith. For your progress and joy in the faith. I'm here for you. That's what he said early on in this letter. And, and here he's just saying that I, I'm here for you. Whatever it takes, I'm here for you. I'm here for what you get out of it, not for what I get out of it. Paul is a model of Christ-like selflessness in that he sacrifices his own personal interest while living and dying for the sake of the church of Philippi and the advancement of the gospel in and through those people. How about you and me? Do you sacrifice your own personal interest as a drink offering, as an act of worship to the Lord God who's given you life and breath and salvation through his son for the sake of the gospel being lived out in the lives of others? Well, we're commanded to do so. Verses 3 and 4 are not a, a, a suggestion. They're actually a command. They're an imperative. We're commanded to live in that way and follow the example of Christ and follow here now Paul as an example, a model of that Christ-likeness. Now look with me at the end of verses 17 and, and then on into 18. He, he says, verse 17, I rejoice and share my joy with all you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Paul says he rejoices over this sacrificial, selfless service. Now think about it. He's rejoicing over the possibility he might die for the faith. He's rejoicing in his circumstances. He's in prison. Now rejoicing over in sacrificial selfless service is not what the world teaches, right? It says don't rejoice in that. Run from that. Get out from any kind of pressure that's in your life, any difficulty. Get rid of it. It's bad. Now, when we study the book of James, James says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that testing your faith produces endurance. And, and then I love this, he says, And let, allow this to bring about perfection or completion or maturity in your life. This difficulty, this trial, in the same way Paul is saying, I'm rejoicing over this. Because I know what God's doing. I'm willing to go all the way. And I'm rejoicing over that. And, and, and yet living out this attitude, which is also, again, in, in Christ Jesus, we saw in verse 5, is exactly what is the cause of joy in the life of Jesus and all those who follow him. Look what it says in Hebrews about Jesus. Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, listen to this, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
for the joy. What joy? The cross? Yeah, the cross. Selfless, sacrificial service. And Jesus approached it with joy. And just so we know and are clear on this, sacrificial service is often accompanied by suffering. It was for Jesus. This just amazes me. In the health and wealth gospel, we're always healthy, we're always happy, everything goes all good, which isn't a gospel at all, if you ask me. But in that, what about Jesus? I mean, if Jesus suffered, what makes us think that we're going to get by just scot-free? And in fact, we're promised that we will suffer. Paul promises Timothy, those who choose to live God in your lives will be persecuted. So I love this example. Say, well, that was Jesus, right? Well, hey, rejoicing over sacrificial service that leads to suffering is exemplified also in Peter and the apostles when they are beaten and thrown in prison and beaten again before they're released. And we see this in Acts 5.41. Look what it says. So they went out on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Wow. They understood what Paul is trying to teach the church of Philippi here. Rejoicing over sacrificial, selfless service. Uh, listen to what uh, John MacArthur writes about this subject. Believers are to rejoice not in spite of their suffering for Christ, but because of it. Wow. To rejoice because of the suffering that may come from our sacrificial, selfless service in the name of Christ. Well, Paul in these verses clearly modify, m- models sacrificial, selfless, and joyful selflessness and joyful response to selflessness or to, to the selflessness that he's pre- presenting. He, he's a great model of this, and by God's grace, which gives us the desire and power to do His will, we are commanded to do the same and follow His Christ example of Christ likeness. And we see that because He says, "You too, I urge you." Verse eighteen: Rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Paul is clearly an example, a model to follow. Well, now let's turn our, turn our, our attention to verses 19 through 24. It's in these verses where we'll be challenged with the second model of Christ-likeness to follow, and that second model is Timothy. Timothy. Uh, look with me in verses 19 and 20 there. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will gently be concerned for your welfare. Well, this time of the writing of, of the church of Philippi where Paul writes this letter while he's in prison, Timothy had been his right-hand man for about 10 years. 10 years he had spent with Timothy. He picks up Timothy in Acts 16 right before he plants the church in Philippi. And uh, already Timothy was exemplifying some amazing things, some maturity beyond his years, and Paul picks him, takes him with him. So it's 10 years later, and he spent all this time with Timothy. And they become friends. Not only was Paul his mentor, but they were close. The fact that Paul is willing to send Timothy to them is further evidence of Paul's selflessness. Think about this. He sees his best guy. He goes to the store and gets the best food to give to people who are in need. Doesn't look for the asparagus in the back of his cupboard to send. I'm not getting on you on that. All right. But in a sense, that's what he's doing. He goes to the front. He goes to Kroger and, and gets the best and, and the, 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 the best chocolate ice cream. You know my favorite chocolate ice cream is there, right? Death by chocolate. He gets the best 
He didn't get Blue Bunny in the back. He gets Blue Bell in the front, right? And, and, and he sends his very best, the guy he loved, the guy who was his right-hand man. We're going to see that here in a second, what he thought about Timothy. He sent his very best, which showed again his selflessness. And notice what Paul says about him in verse 20. Of kindred, I have no one else of kindred spirit. You, um, your translation say like-minded. It says no one else like him. Literally the, world mean, literally the word means one-souled. One-souled. He is one-souled in a sense with Paul. He's just like Paul in so many ways. They hope that Paul could come and visit him. Paul will see, hopes that he, he can come back and visit him. This will be, he's visited him three times already. Planned the church two other times on his second ministry journey. He hopes when he gets released, he can go to Philippi. But if he can't come, he'll send somebody just like him. As much as like him as possibly could. And that's Timothy. He's one-souled. And, and, and how was he like Paul? Look at verse 20, end of verse 20. Who will genuinely can be concerned for your welfare. Verse 21. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Well, let me just say this. They. Who's they? You always talk about what they say. You ever heard that? I always wonder who they is. And you've got to ask the question, who is they here? It could be all Christians in the world, but I think it's those that are surrounded by Paul in Rome. And there's some people who are doing some ministry for Paul because they could come and go. And, and he's seeing some immaturity in them. And he's just comparing all those other guys. There's some areas, there's areas that grow in Timothy too, but there's some areas that they're not looking out for other people. They're looking out for themselves. He talked about some people who were presenting the gospel while Paul was in prison with wrong motives. Now, he rejoiced they were at least sharing the gospel. He's just saying, compared to other people around me, the people that I know, the people had an opportunity to send to you, none of them are like Timothy. He, he genuinely cares. For, that's why he's like Paul, because he genuinely loved these believers. And we, see, we have seen in this letter how Paul really loved these believers in Philippi. And, and he wasn't like so many others who sought after their own interest. Notice that. In verse 20, they seek after their own interests. This is the exact opposite of verses 3 and 4. Not to seek after your own interests, but the interest of others. And they're seeking after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. These are people you don't want to be associated with when they talk about the they. Sometimes it's be good to be part of the they. You don't want to be a part of this they. You want to be Timothy, who was generally concerned, loved these people, who was seeking after the things of Christ, who is putting their interests before his own and, and even having, think about Timothy as Paul says, Timothy, I'm going to send you along. Uh, Timothy's been right there with Paul. He's been his right-hand man for 10 years. He's going to send him to the church of Ephesus, away from him. He's going away from his spiritual mentor. Just the willingness to do this says a lot about Timothy, about his sacrificial, selfless attitude. Now notice what Paul says about Timothy in verse 22. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furnace of the gospel like a child serving his father. Timothy had proven himself to be selfless and faithful to the furnace of the gospel. Again, he was with Paul. Paul picks him up at the beginning of chapter 16 of Acts and then they go to Philippi where they plant this church and with amazing things happen. Lydia's heart was open to the gospel. This, this girl is healed of a, of a demon possession. The jailer and his whole family get saved. There's some miracles, and this church plant starts there. And Timothy was there. And Timothy also visited two other times with Paul on Paul's second missionary journey to Philippi. So they knew Timothy. So he says, you know his proven character. Now we could go to other places where we could see his proven character. But he's saying, you know. Why? Because you know him. You know of his proven character. He has served with me in the furnace of the gospel like a child serving his father with faithfulness. 
Timothy showed his sacrificial selflessness before, and Paul points out to them, these these believers, Philippi, that he is a model of sacrificial selflessness. He's living out verses 3 and 4 of this chapter. Now, notice what Paul says in verses 23 and 24. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. He wants them to see Timothy's sacrificial selflessness selflessness lived out again amongst amongst them. Now, obviously, Paul spends all chapter 2 talking about this. There must have been a problem in the church of Philippi. People were seeking their own interests first, and he heard about it when Epaphroditus, who we'll see, brought this, came to them as as a messenger from the church of Philippi too. He must have heard about it. We talked about that last week a little bit. This conversation must have gone on between Epaphroditus and Paul. And he said, hey, how's it going, Epaphroditus? Well, it's going great. We've got a bunch of new people coming, and, and we've got a new decorated sanctuary. It's really nice. And, um, and you know, it's, it's been really good, Paul. And Paul goes, no, how, how has it really been? So we've got some people grumbling and complaining, Paul. We've we got people looking out for their own interests and not the others. So just be honest with you, Paul. You need to pray for us. So he knew this. So he wants to send Timothy back. Now, he says he thinks he's going to get a good report. But he wants to send Timothy back to encourage and be a model to these people. And it's clear that, that Timothy was a model of Christ-like selflessness that brings the word of God. How about you and me? Are we models of Christ-like selflessness? Sacrificial selflessness that brings the word of God? Well, Paul is now presented, and we could actually go back as the ultimate illustration, the ultimate example in verses 5 through 11. He's presented Jesus. He's presented himself in verses 17 through 18. He's presented Timothy in verses 19 through 24 as examples or models of Christ-like selflessness. This must have been intimidating. It had to be to the church of Philippi. Why do I say that? I mean, first we've got Jesus. I mean, he's God, right? And he gave his life for what others got out of it. Okay, not Jesus. Well, let's go to Paul. Well, he's the apostle Paul. Are you kidding me? He walks on water almost. If he could. I mean, Paul could have, right? Well, okay, well, how about Timothy? I mean, he's not Paul, but he's kind of like next to him. Yeah, I mean, that's Timothy. He spent 10 years with Paul. I mean, he's been discipled by Paul. We're just the Philippians. I mean, how could we live out this principle of verses 3 and 4 and being selfless? Guess what? I love Paul. He's got an answer for him. He's got an answer for us. As we think about, well, I couldn't be like that. Well, you know what? Let's see what he does in verses 25 through 30. As we see the third example of a model of Christ-likeness to follow. And that third model is Epaphroditus. Look with me at verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Who was Epaphroditus? Now, I've already given a little bit of a way through our time in Philippians, but... He was from the church of Philippi. They sent him to visit Paul with a gift on their behalf. That's what he did. He came to them and brought this gift, whatever it was, to to minister to Paul. Paul. So just think about this. They must have thought well enough of Epaphroditus to send him on this mission. He's representing their church. That says a lot. You don't just send anybody to go visit Paul and to make sure this gift gets there. They send Epaphroditus. They obviously thought well of him. The other thing to think about, he was one of them. He was the guy next door. He wasn't Jesus. He wasn't Paul. He wasn't Timothy. He was just one of them that lived in their neighborhood, that hung out with them, that ate with them every day. You could say Epaphroditus in some ways was just a regular old Joe. If Jesus, Paul, and Timothy seemed out of reach, no excuses. Epaphroditus is just like you. 
And I think he's trying to communicate that with this passage because he's emphasizing this selfless, sacrificial attitude. Now notice what Paul says about Epaphroditus in the last part of 25. So in, in some ways, he is a, a regular old Joe, but he's not a regular old Joe. Look at verse 25. My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, who wouldn't like that to be said about them? He's basically saying, in short, Epaphroditus shared the same Lord, had worked hard in the same mission, and had fought alongside Paul in the same battle for the advancement of the gospel. He was also a messenger, and this actually from the same word we get apostle. Now, he wasn't an apostle in the sense of you know, Paul and the, the other 11 that were left after Judas left. He wasn't an apostle. He was an apostle, a messenger of the church. That's a pretty fine compliment to have. He's messenger, official messenger from their church. They entrust him with this, as I mentioned. He, he also, it says that he was a minister. And this word minister, specifically this word for minister, is one working for the good of God. Not just any old minister, but one who works for the good of the things of God. These are high words of praise coming from Paul about Epaphroditus. Now notice what what causes Paul to say all these things about Epaphroditus in verses 26 to 28, at least in part. It says this, beside, because he was, because, right, because, here's a reason that he says all these things. He was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard he, that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Epaphroditus at some point in his mission, or on his mission to serve Paul on behalf of the church of Philippi, had become gravely ill. We don't know how, we don't know with what, but he was sick, just to the point of death. Would you say that's sacrificial and selfless? That you're willing to go, and at that time they didn't just shoot him up with a little antibiotics. And, and, and who knows, he may have gotten it early on in his journey. He could have turned back. And I'm thinking that's probably, just thinking about what Paul says, that's probably what happened. He wasn't even all the way to Paul yet. And somehow, maybe somebody crossing the road is going back to Philippi from Rome and, and, or, or heading back on that same road the opposite way, and they see Epaphroditus is sick, and maybe they reported, reported, listen to this, because he knows he's sending this. They already know he's sick before Paul sends this. Somehow, they got word that he was sick, and he hung in there. He didn't quit. Oh, you know, I'm not feeling real good. I think I'll go back. No, he, he was on a mission. Why? For not for what he got out of it, for what they got out of it, for what Paul was going to get out of it. Sacrificial selflessness is seen in Epaphroditus. Now, now notice why Epaphroditus is longing for them in distress. I love those words. These are deep emotional words. He says, because you heard that he was sick. Think about this. He's longing and he's distressed, not about his own sickness. He's more concerned that they're concerned for him than he is concerned about his own sickness. You don't miss that phrase. It's not about his sickness, it's about them. He's concerned that they're concerned. How many people here are concerned about someone else's concern? When we're down. Most of us are just concerned about us, aren't we? But not Epaphroditus. He's concerned about them. He was living out the principles in verses 3 and 4. Selflessness, sacrificial selflessness. Look at verses 29 and 30 now. Receiving, or receive him, speaking of Epaphroditus, then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Man, we don't want to miss that. We need to hold people like this who are following after the example of Christ in high regard. 
honoring them. Hold them in high regard, it says. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. He came close to death, risking his life. Epaphroditus risked his own life for the sake of the work of Christ, putting Paul in the Philippians' interest before his own Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Now let me just say this because it's there. It's this phrase, complete what was deficient in your service to me. There's been all kinds of things written about this. and It's like most of them are just way out there because you, there's no proof of that. I just think that they desired personally be there to care for Paul. So you see, it says that what was deficient, what was deficient was their personal presence with Paul. So he's completed that, right? They love Paul so much, they wish they could all be there. But they all couldn't, so they sent Epaphroditus. And he's completed, completed their service. And was deficient. What was deficient? Their, their presence. And here's Epaphroditus representing him. Don't worry, he's done exactly what you seem to do. Because he sacrificially was selfless. Is there any mystery in what Paul's trying to get across here? I don't think so at all. This is clear. This is where Mark Twain, I'm sure, one of those passages Mark Twain must have thought when he's thought, you know, it's not the things in the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the things in the Bible I do understand that bother me. And I, he, he couldn't have missed this, and we can't miss this. The Lord, through Paul, has clearly challenged us with three models of Christ's likeness, specifically in the area of sacrificial, selfless service. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. And how about you and me? He's calling us to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Not merely looking out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. We can't miss it. And remember, the immediate context is living this out in the local church. Yes, we should have this attitude with people outside the church, but he's saying right here within your church, the church of Philippi, this selflessness. Are you in it for what they get out of it? Or are you in it for what you get out of it? Are you part of Grace Bible Church for what you get out of it? Or are you part of it, Grace Bible Church for what the Lord gets out of it and for what others get out of it? What's our attitude? What's our heart? Paul would say we should be in it for what everyone else gets out of it. And rejoice in sacrificial selflessness for the glory of God. Now how different is that? If our body does that, what a difference that'll make. And the world will look in and say, whoa! Either they'll say, whoa, that's weird, or that's wonderful. I want to know that the God they know. And some people will respond like that as they look, as we live this out. Remember, not only are we called to look at models, but we are called to be models. Paul says this about himself in, in 1 Corinthians 11. 1, be imitators of me or follow me just as I follow Christ. Ooh, that's kind of brash, isn't it? Well, he's following Christ, no. What kind of model are you? By God's grace, let's be Jesus of skin on. To the world around us. First by being Jesus of skin on right here. Right here. Amongst ourselves. As a family of God here at Grace Bible Church. And then allow that to overflow in every other area of our life. 
and God will be glorified. And remember, all this is possible because of Christ in you. Yes, we're called to work out our salvation. We're called to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we're called to put others' interests before our own. Why? Because God is at work in you both to work and to will for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the simplicity and the directness of your word. And Lord, we pray, we, we, we beg you this morning that you would empower us by the Holy Spirit living inside of us to follow, first of all, the example of Jesus and then Paul and Timothy Epaphroditus with sacrificial, selfless service that you might be glorified, that people might see Christ in us. And Lord, I would pray for anyone here this morning who does not have Christ in them or that by your grace you would just as you did Lydia in, in the church of Philippi, the very first convert in Europe, that you would open their heart to receive the truth of the gospel. That they may know you and know the value and know the blessing of the one who is obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that they might exalt you with their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.